Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Legendary Nights with me, your host, Sean Bastow, and shortly to be joined by Johnston Brown. Today's episode is voted for by you, the listeners and the users of Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. You voted for the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, the thriller in Manila. But before we get into the episode, I just want you guys to go and find us on social media and follow us on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR Boxing Podcast. Also, if you use podcasting apps like Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, you can also find us. Subscribe to the feed on there, it's free. You'll get all the latest episodes of all our series, including the life and times of the legendary nights, ones to watch, and also the promoter life. Please go and subscribe, rate us, review us, we really, really appreciate it. So let's get into it then, guys. This is the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, the thriller in Manila. It will be a killer and a chiller and a thriller when I get the gorilla in Manila. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cassius Marcellus Clay. He's young. Johnston, this is the thriller in Manila. It's one we've both been really looking forward to. It's the first fight of Muhammad Ali's you've covered for the Legendary Night series. And I know it's one you've been really excited to cover, as always, because it's one of the greatest fights of all time. Oh, it is, mate. Um, I mean, we have covered some amazing Legendary Nights uh, in the last couple of months. So, but, I mean, this one takes exception. Um, it's just, it not only is the fight terrific, but... You know, the two guys that were involved were just 
you know, they were phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, just just really eager to, to just get involved in it. And, uh, you know, this is, this is basically the godfather of Legendary Nights for me. <laughs> yes, yes, it's from the same generation as the films, The Godfather, and what a fight it was, and you'll hear us say that throughout this episode, because it was a fantastic fight. The definition of a fight inside of a phone box, or if you're in America, a phone booth. So, <laughs> let's get into the episode. As always, we will be covering it in the same format as the Legendary Night series has shown, so we'll be covering off the careers of both men in the lead-up to this this particular fight we will then talk about the build-up for this fight which has got a lot of shenanigans that went on i must say from the off so we've got the build-up to cover and then we've got the fight itself to cover and of course the aftermath what it meant for both men in the aftermath of this fight so let's get into it then and start with the career of joe fraser first let's start with phrasing the lead-up to this fight with ali so we're only going to skip back to 1974 and look at what fights he had and what fights he were involved in because he fought Muhammad Ali in 1974 in the January which was the second fight of their trilogy in which he lost by a unanimous decision so that was another good fight of the trilogy is probably not the best one if i was going to rank it at the fights from best to worst i'd probably say the third one which we're covering today is the best the fight of the century was probably the second best and this one in 74 was probably the for me the the, the worst of well it's the best of the worst kind of it's, it's a strange saying to, to even think about talking about but this second fight between the two was probably the worst one of the three fights so he lost to Harley, 1974, January 1974, and then he come back with two TKO victories. The first one was in June of 74 against Jerry Quarry, and the second one was against Jimmy Ellis. And that was where it sort of summed up this fight between these two happening again, because there was always, there was always going to be another fight between these two it was obvious from the first moment they laced the gloves up in that ring in the first fight in 71 that these two were destined to meet three times it was it was like the writing was always going to be on the wall for the fight and the two wins that Fraser had over Quarry and Ellis set him up nicely for the fight with Ali who at this point Ali was the WBA and WBC heavyweight champion of the world so this meant a lot more as well because of the fact that there were two titles on the line going into that fight but let's just go back then Johnson talk about the Quarry and Ellis wins and also obviously the second fight of Ali and Frazier's uh, yeah I mean I'm with you it was, it was a bit of an anti-climax uh, the second fight um, I mean Yank Durham who was um, who was Frazier's main man behind sort of in the corner um, he actually uh, passed away in the summer of 73 just before that fight as well so you know, I think I think that would have been a, a factor in uh, Frazier's performance because it wasn't his best performance. Uh, Eddie Futch was his assistant coach at the time, but then he stepped up. Also, Ken Norton's trainer, so he stepped up to be the primary sort of main man when um, Yank Durham did pass away. And uh, yeah, he wasn't best pleased with with the tactics of, of Muhammad Ali, um, and basically he he, uh, he he just kept moaning about the referee just allowing sort of Ali to keep holding and he was just grabbing inside, which you could probably clearly see. It, at times, the referee probably should have broke him up, but he didn't. And it just that sort of messed up Fraser really. He didn't really, he, he couldn't get going because, you know, Fraser's that 
he needs to be on the inside, really. He needs to be walking his man down, as you, as many will know, with Frazier as a fighter. But yeah, then, and obviously the Jerry Quarry fight after the second uh, victory, or the second fight uh, and the loss, sort of even the spills. A bit. Um, so yeah, uh, Jerry Quarry, another good fighter, uh, repeat victory for uh, for Frazier. Uh, TKO him in the fifth, and then Jimmy Ellis, uh, which was uh, again uh, the second fight um, against Jimmy Ellis. The, the first one obviously was to unify the division, um, the WBC vacant title, WBA title, as Jimmy Ellis held at the time. So yeah, he, he got rid of him. Um, Ellis uh, had actually had a cut on his eye as well, so I think I think that was the reason for the stoppage, if I, if I rightly. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was you know the thing. You, the thing. The whole situation with Fraser Riley is that Fraser had those tough fights. He had two tough fights uh, with Fraser, um, and and Ali weren't too. He weren't too keen for the third one. Although, as you say, inevitably it was always going to happen further down the road, um, and, and thankfully it did. But yeah, um, they basically you know in terms of Dundee and and the whole team that Ali was with. And, they basically said that he was shot and they said that Frazier is, you know, he's done. So, you know, it's not going to be as hard as you think. Um, and we all know that basically he didn't quite end out that way. Well, just going back to what you were talking about, about the second fight between the two of them, uh, a lot of the reasoning behind the third fight actually happening, and I'll only touch briefly on it at this point because we are going to cover a lot of stuff off in the build-up, but there was a lot of complaining from from Frazier's team, Eddie Futch in particular, because in the second fight, as you rightly pointed out, there was a lot of... He was he was sort of grabbing round the neck a lot in the second fight and sort of pulling him down, uh, you know, and, and he was really, you know... The, the stuff that he was doing in the second fight was really kind of spoiling the fight. It was a it was a real spoiler fight. I mean, it had its great moments. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was a real sort of spoil fest in terms of the tactics that were employed in it. And, and obviously, the fact that it was one apiece also made this big difference as well because you know they, they wanted to settle the score. These two had been on at each other all the way from 1971, and he just there was always this little bit of animosity there between them. You know, we had all the incidents which we've spoke about recently on the the best boxing brawls episode where in in the lead up to the second fight obviously he was on the he was on the talk show where they were doing the rerun of the second of the first fight and then they're slagging each other off and then obviously Ali pulls Fraser to the floor and they have that scuffle and it, it was just always always destined to, to meet each other one more time so Fraser gets the wins over Quarry over Ellis and puts himself into position to fight Ali for a third and final time for the WBA WBC heavyweight championships of the world so switching over to Ali then obviously we we all know the story with Ali we all know where he was at the time thinking back to what his 1974 and 75 were like before the third Joe Fraser fight looking at the fights that Ali were involved in you've got to think about the, the second Fraser fight happened in January 74 and then he went straight into a big fight which we've covered on legendary nights before it was george foreman it was the rumble in the jungle in october of 
74. So if you've not heard the Rumble in the Jungle episode, go back and listen to that one as well. That was an absolutely cracking episode and a cracking fight. And where he first employed the old rope-a-dope tactic against George Foreman, beating him and stopping him and knocking him out. So moving on then, he goes into 1975 in March and he beats the real-life Rocky, Chuck Webner, and defends the WBA and WBC heavyweight championships of the world. And the reference to Rocky there is actually, apparently Sylvester Stallone based his character Rocky on the fighter Chuck Webner. If it's something you didn't already know, you do now. So he beats Chuck Webner and then he goes in with a tough fight against Ron Lyle and then beats Joe Bugner in Kuala Lumpur, which is kind of setting the scene for this third fight with Joe Fraser because obviously it was over in Asia and the fight happened in the Philippines that's why it was entitled the Thriller in Manila of course but the Kuala Lumpur fight was it was all about it was all about networking it was all about bringing Ali to different places of the world because he was a global superstar at this point so he beats Joe Bugner via unanimous decision which then sets up the fight with Joe Fraser so going back to obviously Ali's 74 and 75 thoughts on the fights with Foreman Webner Lyle and Bugner well um, I mean Chuck Webner as you say yeah he was the real real life Rocky Sly obviously in the crowd at the time wasn't he and he, he liked the fact that Chuck Webner this is basically no open it just gets cut to bits isn't he he's, he's just always getting cut I mean he got badly say he's got ripped apart by Sonny Liston um, we did a bloodbath that one by the way um, and yeah so uh, he actually well he didn't put Ali down Ali t- took a slip so he slipped over on his foot and went over Ali so uh, a few people I think the referee maybe thought it was a, a knockdown I, I can't quite remember rightly but yeah Chuck Wetner, um you know it, again 15 rounds for Ali it was a pretty one-sided fight um, and then obviously the Ron Lyle fight as well it, you know it was a close fight um Ali before obviously he stopped him in the 11th it was a very very close fight in the first sort of four sort of eight rounds if you like it's pretty even um and then Joe Bugner who was a young guy as well Joe um Joe Bugner actually fought Joe Frazier as well not long before Frazier uh, against sorry he fought Frazier before he fought Ali as well so you know, Bugner was sort of literally their almost like their last. Well, they were both their last fights before going in to the uh, Thriller in Manila, if I remember right. Oh no, not quite. This is the second fight, wasn't it, for Fraser? But um, yeah, Joe Bugner, um, a little bit underrated by the British public. It didn't really get behind him. He got a lot of stick um, when you know he went. A British fighter went ten, went fifteen rounds with both of them, um, and, and Ali was always very complimentary about Bugner um, and his and his performances. And he even said that with him being so young that one day he's going to go on to be a world champion. But unfortunately, it didn't quite happen for Joe. But um, yeah, it was another good fight, another good performance from Ali. And it was just, yeah, it was it was just hotting up nicely for, for the main event. It was, I think, before the Bugner fight was more or less signed the deal. So it was ready to go. Um, and yeah, it, it was, yeah, that's it really. It was, it was ready for the big one. We're ready for the big one indeed. I'm going to the build-up of it and the reason we've we've not touched overly on, on the careers of both men in the lead-up to this fight is because of the build-up to this particular fight. There's so much that goes on and when I mentioned shenanigans at the start... I mentioned Anigans, there's so many things that, that actually went on in the build up to this particular fight. So as you was alluding to, it was it was sort of near enough a signed seal delivered deal and the build up to it, we had the president of the Philippines, Fernando uh, Ferdinand Marcos. He wanted to hold uh, the bout 
in Metro Manila and sponsor it in order to put attention on the Philippines as a great nation, having declared martial law just three years earlier in 1972. So they managed to get this deal with Mr. Slippery makes an appearance back on the podcast again, Mr. Don King back. He was obviously the man behind this one, as always. In the lead-up to the fight, as always, Ali and Frazier going at it. It was another another epic build-up because... You got another you got another monumental quote out of it. And in the in the build up to this one, we had Ali verbally abusing Fraser, nicknaming Fraser the Gorilla. People wanna see me and Joe Frazier. They still think Joe Frazier can beat me. They don't wanna see me and Ken Norton. They don't wanna see me and George Foreman. They wanna see me and Joe Frazier, although George Foreman annihilated Frazier, and George Fulmer will beat Frazier every day in the week. George Fulmer will beat Ken Norton every day in the week, and I will beat George Fulmer every day in the week, but the fools still think that that chump Joe Frazier can beat me because he went the distance twice and he ended up on a close decision. I'm going to give him a real whooping, and I wrote a poem. Some of you heard it, but this is a little conscience. I got a little gorilla here. This is his conscience. I keep it right in my pocket everywhere I go. Right there. And I wrote a short poem. It says it will be a killer and a thriller and a killer when I get the gorilla in Manila. And he come up with another absolute fantastic rhyme, which you may have heard at the start of the episode. And it goes, it will be a killer and a thriller and a chiller when I get the gorilla in Manila. And whilst he was doing that, whilst punching uh, an action figure sized gorilla doll, it just, it's just Ali all over. <laughs> he really knew how to, to get underneath Fraser's skin, for sure. And, and at this point, Fraser had been listening to this since 1971 in the first fight. So... At one point, they were good friends. I mean, Frazier was was all part of. Uh, he he went even to see President Nixon, and he wanted to get Ali's license. You know, he he done a lot of things, even give him some money as well to help him um, during his exile from boxing at the time. But yeah, he he, he loved to just wind him up, and you know, with, with the first two, it was all about. You know, he was basically uh, an Uncle Tom, and and he was white man's champion, um, which really sort of did annoy Fraser and even to the extent where you know he was getting death threats because people jumped on the bandwagon and his son uh, Marvis was actually sort of having fights in school because of it so he really did know how to how to sell a fight um, and, and, he, and to be fair in Ali's you know in his ignorance if you like you know that he, he wasn't from Fraser's background so it's quite funny the things that he was saying about Fraser because you know he had a hard life Fraser compared to Ali Ali you know, you know, he didn't have anything even nearly as bad as the, what, what Frazier had in his life. But yeah, he, he, he did just love it. I mean, there was, there was you saying that about that, that that one quote. There was another one as well where he said that uh, it may shock and amaze you, but I'm going to destroy Joe Frazier. What's going to happen when you meet Smoking Joe? And I said Joe's going to come out smoking, and I ain't going to be joking. I'll be pecking and a poking pouring water on his smoking and then this might shock and amaze you but i will destroy joe frazier so he was just full of this willing to he, he, he literally had and he had his own problems he had he had the problems with his girlfriend where he's you know he got he got caught i think he was when he met the, the president of the philippines he had a, another woman with him and then his woman his actual wife was back at home see 
that she was with him and he had introduced her as his wife, as his mistress, and she flew over in a hot rage and she just went at Ali as well. She apparently went mad and then the other, the, the missus he had, she ended up uh, disappearing and get caught, caught, she got caught pictured with a Fraser t-shirt on. So uh, it was all a bit of a mess for Ali in terms of his, sort of his family life, I suppose. But, you know, he was a bit of a womanizer, Ali, but, you know, he, he and he and he sort of underestimated him. As I say, you know, the idea was was that Fraser was shot, so um, he he wasn't expecting Fraser to be good at all. So yeah, he just loved to to basically piss off Fraser. And Fraser just he, he, in the end, he was just vexed of it all. I think, and he was just he had enough. <laughs> well, he was telling the reporter Ali that his pre-fight strategy was to get getting mad so he was like i like to get a man mad because when a man's mad he wants you so bad he can't think so i like to get a man mad you know one of his one of his <laughs> great quotes again you know he just but that strategy had actually worked in his favor the previous year when he'd fought george foreman because we'd seen the introduction of the rope dope tactic which has gone on in infamy over the years because of the way foreman was pounding away and pounding away for for, for all of the fight and just got physically exhausted and ali was just taking it absorbing it but then talking to to foreman at the same time and still still wittering away to him in the ring telling him he's is that all you got george so you know that tactic worked beautifully for him in that fight and at the time everybody was thinking you know Ali's just getting his ass handed to him here but then when he came back and the way he stopped Foreman was something to behold because nobody was expecting it nobody was picking Ali to win everybody was picking Foreman to win so that tactic in that fight had worked perfectly but he started to use it a little bit more in fights and as we get into the fight a little bit later we'll start to talk about the use of that tactic yet again now that leads me nicely really into the the, the next part of the build-up which is Fraser's cornerman Eddie Futch you was talking about who stepped up and took over the corner now that second fight again where we were talking about all the holding the 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 use of illegal tactics in the second fight Eddie Futch was quite concerned and he wanted to prevent Ali from repeating this and using this sort of tactic where he grabbed behind the neck and, and pull him, sort of pull him towards him, get these extended clinches going on. And I think there was one point where Foot should actually claim that Ali had done it 133 times in that second fight without being penalised by the referee. So well, you can understand where sort of Foot was coming from in in boxing terms people always say it's a kind of way of negating a fight. I mean, we've seen it in a lot of fights in this modern generation where a certain fighter will will spoil a fight in a certain way. I think Mayweather is probably the primest name I can think of where I remember quite a few of his fights where he'd use a certain tactic to spoil a lot of fights as well. And that's obviously what Ali was doing in the second fight with Frazier. But Futch, as a result of this, he, he basically sensed a little bit of trouble was going on and he thought, right, I'm going to do something about this now. So he, he moved to block the same referee who was in the Ali Foreman fight, which was Zach Clayton. So he decided to go to the mayor of Philadelphia, Frank Rizzo, and the mayor of Philadelphia says, we're not going to let you out of your duties as a civil service employee to go and referee that fight. So Futch had won that battle to stop this referee going over there. And he'd also warned the Filipino authorities that Ali was going to mar what was going to be a great event for the nation by constantly spoiling the fight and tying up Fraser illegally. So he recommended that the Filipinos 
got one of their own to do it and got one of their own referees to actually referee the fight. And that way, it would look better on the country as a whole because it's their representation uh, that's actually doing the fight. So it was absolutely mental to think, like, this is the sort of stuff that's going on outside of the ring in the lead-up to the fight. Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, the referee was uh, was Carlos Padilla as well, wasn't it? The same guy that did uh, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard um, sort of a decade later. Um so Carlos Padino, you know, he wasn't a bad ref at all. So it was a good selection, really. And I thought we'd done a good job. Um, he, he wasn't really involved in it at all. So, it, you know, he, to to um, to their credit, I mean, you know, making a, a meal out of the referee situation, Eddie Futch was right to do so, to be fair. Um, and and, it, and it, it paid off because, I mean, he was a good ref. Uh, to, uh, I quite like Carlos Padino from, from everything I've seen of him. And he's done several big fights, but what a fight for him to have done. Um, but yeah, it, it was just one thing after another. I mean, even the, there was one story I picked up on where um, Ali actually, he had like a, a guy that sort of took him around the Philippines, like a tour guide, if you like, just if he wanted to go somewhere to take him there. So uh, Ali went, right, come on, let's get in the limo. Um, and he's gone, well, where are we going? And he said, right, we're going to uh, Fraser's Hotel. And he's actually got a replica done with him as well, Hamid Ali. They they drive to the hotel and are shouting up at the back and he's sort of Fraser comes out with his entourage and he starts literally shooting off shots from, from his replica gun and Fraser and, and his team are running inside thinking he's mad he's, he's going to kill me <laughs> obviously he didn't it was a replica but um, it was just those little things again where what, what Ali would do because he you know for, for, for Ali always knew that Joe Fraser was the toughest fight he'd ever had. Um, he will always, he will mention other fighters, but Fraser was the guy that he had to get under his skin. And he was, he, the reason why he did the things he did was because he was fretful of Fraser. He knew that, you know, if Fraser's on his game, he's going to give him a hard fight. So if he could just do any little thing to upset the apple cart, he would do it. He'd done it in the first fight. He would, he rang him up the night before. He'd ring him up sort of in front of the sort of press as well and they'd make a big thing out of it. But, there was a, a quiet conversation where he phoned up Fraser said, you know, are you ready for the first? Like, this is 71, are you ready? And Fraser's like, yeah, I'm ready. So it was these little subtle ways of trying to get in Fraser's head. And as I say, like the replica gun and the, the gorilla tactics, you're an ugly gorilla and making reference to, to, to what he, he looks like and, and, and he's dumb. Um, so, and although they really did affect Fraser, even beyond the years after, it, you know, he still couldn't forgive Ali because he was good friends with him. I know they had a good relationship before 71. And as I say, he helped him out and he, he wanted him to get his license. So it, it was these little bits that, you know, they, they really did add up. And, and Ali, as I say, he had other things going on. I think, he, you know, in his corner, they're telling him, yeah, Fraser's shot. So you've got nothing to worry about. It's not going to be as hard as you think. And, yeah, well, was he wrong? Well, Fraser was a lot more vocal in the build-up to this one. You know, you could see in previous instances he got really, really frustrated really quickly and he'd either end up trying to get involved in a scuffle or he'd kind of walk off, as we've seen, you know, on on, on the show that he was on where he just walked off the set after they had a little little bit of a scuffle on it. But his his team were also quite vocal in the lead-up to this fight. Futch and his assistant, George Benton, believed that the key to winning the fight would be for Fraser to persistently attack Ali's body, uh, including punches to the hips when 
Ali effectively covered up his torso along the ropes. So George Benton said in the build-up to this, My expression to Joe was, What you've got to do is stay on top of him and hit this son of a bitch anywhere. Hit him on the hips, hit him on the legs, you hit him anywhere. And Fraser himself, he was also coming out with some quotes that you'll probably remember because I think it's I think these quotes have actually been in films. Uh, so Fraser comes out and says, "If you kill the body, the head will die. Once I've stopped your organs, when those kidneys and liver have stopped functioning, he can't move so fast. The organs in his body have to be functioning. If you slow them down, he cannot do what he wants to do." So there you go, Fraser and his team were a lot more vocal in this one. It was it was everything had to go into this one and so much so that the Ali camp had used their championship leverage in the negotiations and they'd won a couple of good points now we've seen this quite recently with Vladimir Klitschko and Tyson Fury with the the, the padding under the ring and the size of the ring and this was no different way back in 75 the, the ring size of 21 feet allowed the ability for Ali to move and circle the ring if he chose to do so. And it'd also be able to allow him to use his lateral movement and the boxing skills to his advantages. So he got the the size ring he wanted as well. And and more significantly, he also got the preference for the 8-ounce gloves as well, which was smaller and a lot less padded than the ones used in most heavyweight fights. And them 8-ounce gloves are... Well, you think of MMA and you think of what they are, I think MMA are like, what are they, six ounce? So it was only one step up from what they were in MMA. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they, they again, once again, um, they, they, you know, being a champion, um, they're the sort of, you know, those those little touches um, were working in Ali's favour. I mean, you, you mentioned the size of the ring and the gloves, etc. I mean, even down to the arrival in Manila. Um, Ali plane arrived in sociable hours. He was greeted with thousands to a hero's welcome. Whereas Frazier sort of arrived early hours in the morning and was greeted to no adoring fans whatsoever. So, you know, it, again, it, you know, these, uh, Frazier even mentioned that, you know, that was that was purposely done. Um, and they're probably right. Um, it, with, with Ali then sort of gate crashing as well in, in Frazier's training, the first ever training session, shouting sort of obscene, disrespecting the former chair. And it, you know, it, it, it all—it was just perfect, really, for, for Ali. He was—he was playing with him. He thought he was not going to be nowhere near as good as he was. He, he, he basically won comprehensively in that second fight, albeit under dodgy circumstances. But he did get—he got the victory at the end of the day. So, and and obviously, one thing you got to remember as well is that Frazier had never been stopped. And obviously, you had the sun—the sunshine showdown over in Jamaica against George Foreman. And George Foreman just absolutely run through him like a train. He absolutely battered the life out of Joe Frazier. And that was shocking. You know, Joe Frazier doesn't get done like that. So so for George Foreman, it was, you know, all of a sudden was this massive, you know, if he could do that to looping Joe Frazier and also done straight after to Ken Norton, Ali's got no chance. And then Ali goes and does what he does and even does the rope dope and lets him wear himself out. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to think that he even thought to do that. And, and I'll even still say that was never a game plan against Foreman. That was just round by round. That's what he's deciding to do. And he ended up getting the victory. But just shows you styles make fights. And, and Arlie's Frazier, their style would always make a good fight. You know, the left hooks that Frazier lands in this fight and even in the first fight and the second fight, probably not so much in the second. He catches a couple, but not many. But in that first fight, 100% especially. And then in this fight as well. 
you know, they were flooring guys. And I think one thing, when people may watch through them, they might, well, no one gets knocked down, but Ali shows he's got a massive chin and so has Frazier. And they've got this will and heart and desire as well as skill, which which makes this fight just so epic. And and, and just it, just the guys in general. I mean, Frazier was a, a nice guy. He worked hard to get to the position he was in. And, and, and Ali, he was just an exceptional fighter. And it just, it was brilliant. Um, I mean, even the money, in terms of their money, it was one of the biggest gates, wasn't it? I mean, well, I say, I think he got sort of 5.4 million, I think Ali got. Um, and Frazier, 2 million, a little bit less, not being the champion. Um, I think in the end, Ali got 9 million. Frazier, roughly 5 in the end, all in all. It was just, you know, he fight was, was at 10.45. Was it 10.45 in the morning, Sean? So just to be... So, so everyone around the world could watch it. And so you can imagine the heat in the Philippines, in Manila. It was, it was just unreal, unreal. Everything, you know, everything that surrounded it was just awesome. Well, it was 10 o'clock, the fight took place. And as you rightly pointed out, it was in order to accommodate the international viewing audience. It was that big of a fight that everybody wanted to watch it. Wherever you were in the world, this was a fight that it made the world stop. And that's no exaggeration on anyone's part. We never got to live through this particular fight. We wasn't born when this fight happened. However, watching back and looking at the the build-up surrounding it, speaking to people that were actually around at the time the fight happened, you get nothing but this was one of the best fights you'll ever see. This was one of the best build-ups. This was this, this was that. The fact that it took place over in Asia, it was absolutely boiling hot, as you rightly pointed out. One of the one of the doctors, or one of the physicians, I think it was Ali's physician, had actually come out and said it was that. It was so hot, they'd never felt a heat like it in their life at all. Not a breath of air, nothing. He said they were sitting there, and you can imagine being in the ring, and you just don't know how... The fighters actually did it. It was it was unbelievable. Now Fraser, after the fact, has estimated the ring temperature to be something like 120, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, forty nine Celsius, and that was taking into account the additional effects of the additional lights that were used for the purposes of televising the fight as well. Uh, and Ali had also said that he literally lost five pounds in weight, two point three kilos in weight during the fight due to dehydration that was how hot it was so god knows how the hell they got through this fight and how the hell they managed to go as long as they did and it's interesting it just goes to show you how tough fighters were back then and i'm not suggesting fighters today are not tough but we've never seen them have to go through anything of the sort of circumstances like this now even just before the fight was taking place there was such a long delay you know coming into the ring they was in the ring for such a long period of time and the reason for that was because of the eight ounce gloves now they had to wait for them to be brought into the ring and that's unusual because they were always usually gloved up on you know before they go to the ring they gloved up and they warm up and they, they, everything's ready to go in the back and th- that's how it works but back then because there was all this controversy over the size of the gloves you know you'd mentioned it to me previously that the gloves was was locked was they locked in a safe or something like that but let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for btr boxing podcast it's bear attack boxing providing high quality boxing gloves boxing equipment to your suitable needs you can find 
find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount. And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your baskets. So please go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Someone said they're going to put it, they're going to lock it away in a safe, and oh, it was quick, you know, usual witty self when he comes over. And no one's locking my gloves in a no safe. <laughs> Sorry, no, no one's locking my gloves in a cage. Uh, so, yeah, they, they apparently so. I really don't know <laughs> the reason for it. It's just all to do with just to make it a little bit more intriguing, I suppose. God knows what they were thinking. But, yeah, um, yeah, and then again, I mean, even was, did they even, was it something to do with the judge? I remember I see there was a vague bit where I see Don King sort of showing Eddie Futch the judges. I said, was that a last minute thing as well? Uh, the two judges, obviously, at this time, you know, in in the sort of seventies, you had the referee was one of the judges as well as two judges. So you never had three judges at ringside or around the ring. So you know, just just to make sure people understood that. But yeah, so um, yeah, it, it was just who knows what I'm thinking, but it definitely added something, didn't it? They certainly did, and even up to the point where both fighters and the cornermen came to the centre of the ring for the referee's final instructions, Ali couldn't help but have his final little jibes on Joe Fraser, telling him, you don't have it, Joe, you don't have it, I'm going to put you away. And then Fraser, as always, just smiled, two words, we'll see. And the fight got underway. (laughs) And when I said earlier, the fight was the definition of a fight in a phone booth box. Yeah, it was. It certainly was. And all I can say that this fight is, it you know, it, it set the way. It set the. It was a trendsetter in terms of the way fights would end up going on to be. I mean, fights like Gatty and Ward, fights that we've talked about over the years, Corrales, Castillo, a lot of the ones we've covered the Legendary Night series, they all stem back all the way to this particular fight, the Thriller in Manila, because these two guys came out of the blocks flying. Now, Fraser, we knew was going to come out flying because we knew his tactic was to, to bob and weave using that bob and weave, you know, sort of hands up high style, sort of cross guard coming in, using his head to get underneath the jab, but Ali was really really sharp and one thing i will say about this fight for the for the entirety of the fight was that ali fought the fight pretty much on the back foot all the way through and there were certain points where he took sort of charge of the fight or took center ring of the fight but most of the fight itself was actually fought on the back foot from ali which is what i found quite compelling because when you watch back through the first few rounds of the fight what you see is the rope-a-dope tactic you see it again you're starting to think to yourself 
this is what he did against Foreman. He, he, he's trying to do the same thing to Fraser, but I don't think Fraser's dumb enough to use, you know, the, make the same mistakes that, that Foreman did, you know, knowing that Foreman got really, really tired, and especially, you know, with that intense heat that they was talking about at the time. So Fraser's coming out, he's, he's getting underneath, he's trying to throw that big left hook, he's trying to get on, he's trying to work the body, but Ali's fighting back, his counter-punching was, was absolutely sublime in this fight, and, you know, it's something to behold. And he used a tactic which went on to be employed by Sugar Ray Leonard, where at certain points of the fight in the you know well certain points of the round he didn't seem as active he seemed like he was just sort of letting Fraser come in back him onto the ropes but then 40 40 seconds left on the clock he just starts to explode off the ropes and land these combinations on Fraser's head and obviously Fraser with that sort of stance and style he was very susceptible to getting hit and he you know at times he he was walking in straight lines so he, he was always going to get hit but then first few rounds it just set the pace of what the fight was going to be oh yeah I, I mean the, you've, you've hit the nail on the head um, Ali you know one thing I noticed with, with, with Ali was that so he came out with his high, his, his hands quite high, uncharacteristically high actually. I've never seen him with his sort of. He comes out fast hands, centre of the ring, flat footed, and, and he unleashed his flurries of combinations on Frazier. And, and Frazier was sort of, as you say, he was he was getting low and he was ducking in and he was trying to get under that jab to work the body, but it was just a little. He wasn't low enough. So at times, Ali was was hitting him at will, um, and then you know Frazier had to take one to give one. Um, but you know, every time he did try to to, to get in close enough, he just it was just out of range again. Um, it, none of the none of the shots really, in the, especially in the first round, really affected Frazier in any real way. It wasn't until sort of the second round um, that that he catches a, a a big right hand from Ali. Um, that sort of it sort of stag- I wouldn't say it staggers him. It sort of just wobbles him slightly, I suppose. He keeps coming forward because Frazier just you know is that will and that heart. He just he kept bobbing and weaving and trying to get under that jab. Just continually went that way. Um, Ali kept his distance, as you say. He was, you know, he, he was throwing counter shots. Uh, Frazier just kept eating these shots up to the head. Frazier kept still going to the body. And as you alluded to earlier, Sean, what he was looking at was 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 he working that body, hitting the 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 the, uh, the hip and and the body and. And just basically stopping Ali, and in that heat, eventually he's going to take his toll, and it, you know it did. Um, but Ali again, you know, he would just, continue, you know, I think it's the third round where he actually, that was when he went into the corner and he and he went up against the rope. So for the first couple of rounds, he's basically in the middle of the ring, and he's he's just throwing shots, and he was never going to keep up that 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 same level of sort of high intensity. So he backed into the ropes, and as you say. Fraser's there trying to get in on the body and then Arlie was blocking him and you know he was doing exactly what you, you what he was what he does in his roper dope sort of tactic and then he just bursts out and over and he starts throwing just throwing fast hands and it just it was just outstanding to see and he was just letting his hands go and Fraser just couldn't he was just getting hit at will. So definitely them first three rounds were big rounds for Arlie and then and even in the fourth again I thought he was he he he, that, he he was brilliant in that and he hit him with a perfect left hook as well. Well, the referee that you talked about earlier, which was Carlos Padilla, actually said after the fact that 
when he was refereeing the fight, during the fight in particular, <laughs> in particular, uh, I think it was the third or maybe the fourth round, he was saying, Ali was still saying stuff to Fraser in the ring. So I've got a couple of quotes <laughs> that apparently this is what he said during the fight. So he would say, ah, one, ah, two, and a three. And then he's also quoted as saying, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack, jump over the candlestick. Is that all you can give? Come on, you ugly gorilla, hit me. <laughs> and he's just, he's just, he's just a typical Ali. I mean, you know, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. I'd love to have been there and, and to be able to witness that taking place live because it just, to, to see the true greatness of, of these two fighters, it was, you know, it was amazing. And when you read all this stuff and you hear about it, it's, it just makes you feel so much more compelled to say, oh, if I had that time machine, I could go back and watch one of them fights live. Which one would you watch? Oh, this, oh, this, this is, this is one of them, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, even that the first one was, was fought of the century, as they said, and it was a fantastic fight. And, and you know, if anyone watches the foot, maybe just watch for the viewers, is watch the, the first one, fight of the century, and then watch the second. And, you know, even in those first four rounds, the pattern was virtually identical. I mean, the only difference was with that sort of, the, although Frazier was the aggressor and Ali was countering, the only difference was it was very one-sided, those first four rounds. Whereas, in in uh, in the first one, it wasn't such. It was it was much more tighter, and, and Fraser was doing a lot more. He was getting lower. I think that's one thing you would see. I, for me, when I was I watched I watched the fire century, and I watched the third one, and uh, Fraser's just lower, and, and he really manages to whip that left hook in when he's going to target into the body. But uh, it's just unreal, wasn't it? I mean, Ali in that fourth round again. You know, he continued to fight off the ropes and just pick Frazier off at will and he just the way he could just manipulate and, and mix up his style Ali. I mean it, it was brilliant for a heavyweight it's unreal like, he, he, he changed his style completely compared to the style we see when he fought Sonny Liston when he was that young brash kid who was bouncing around the ring and he just adopted that rope but he used it in such a way that he like, like you say with Leonard what Leonard would do is he would just have those bursts for like 40 seconds and that'd be enough to win the round. Um, and that is basically what was happening in those first four rounds. Ken Norton, uh, what is the difference between the punches Frazier was throwing when Ali was playing rope-a-dope and covering up on the ropes and the punches that Foreman uh, threw at Ali to no avail? Well, I would have to say that on Foreman's punches, there were more roundhouse punches. Joe's trying to pick his spots. He's trying to go between the hands. He's trying to go behind the elbows, between the kidneys. And this is bound to have a telling effect later on in the round if the fight goes that far. This is when uh, Ali puts on the rally towards the end of the round. That's right. Tracer cannot match hand speed with Ali, so his best bet is to try to stay inside, and Ali starts throwing as either tie him up or push him toward the ropes. I noticed that Ali missed a lot in that round, as though he were over-anxious. Uh, to a certain extent, he had played so much in the round, and toward the latter part of the round, always in the last 15 or 10 seconds, he tried to throw a big flurry. So we get into the fifth round then, and Fraser's starting to get his timing, he's starting to get his rhythm, his bobbing and weaving's pretty much spot on at this point. He's able to avoid all the oncoming fists of the champion. And then for the first time in the fight, he started to land some solid left hooks to Ali's head, he spent, who spent much of the you know the, the the time of the round on the ropes. And according to Angelo Dundee, what he was quoted as saying was this was the worst thing he could do because making Joe pick up momentum where he could drive those shots to the body. Ali Ali's method of sort of self defence 
uh, had also worsened as well, notice, noticeably in this round as well. Uh, one of the boxing journalists who was at ringside, Jerry Eisenberg, uh, said somewhere in, in around the fourth or the fifth round, Joe had hit him with a right hand. <laughs> I didn't think Joe could tie shoes with his right hand. <laughs> and he also says, uh, he also says, <laughs> uh, and Ali also pulls back and says, you don't have no right hand, you can't do that, and bing, he hits him with another right hand, and then obviously <laughs> Ali, you know, at this point is starting to think, shit, I'm in a fight, and his guard's starting to visibly lower as well, and you notice around about this round where the, the, the body shots were starting to take the toll a little bit, actually, because he's starting to drop his guard a little bit, which is what was leading Fraser to get through and land some of them great left hooks, and as soon as it jumped into the sixth round, as soon as the, the bell rang to the sixth round, Fraser landed an absolutely huge left hook which thudded against the right side of Ali's face and it knocked knocked him back it sort of staggered him back a little bit by the force of the blow and he sort of landed back into the ropes but strangely enough although it looked like it was an absolute thunderous shot he bounced back off the ropes and you wouldn't have even thought that it had had an effect on him because he didn't seem dazed he didn't seem groggy he still you know he still carried on trying to sort of show his bravado but you could sort of tell in in a roundabout way he'd gone a little bit stiffer after the back of off the back of the shot but he just he had this amazing poker face in the ring alley and, and this was another example of it in that sixth round so if you watch that sixth round back you'll see the the left hook that's landed and you'll see him sort of go back but then you think to yourself no 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 he's fine but then you sort of see how it visibly affects him 10 20 seconds later you know the sort of after effects of that shot was quite you know it's quite evident in the fight but it was another big round and uh, i think it was quite a big round for, for for fraser as well because he started to really get through uh, and get a lot of shots on ali and this is where you know we started to see the turn of the tide a little bit it was more about fraser sort of trying to get through and land them shots and this was sort of the the, the sort of tick over round where i felt actually this is where he's starting to turn the fight. Definitely. Uh, I mean, that, that left hook that you just you mentioned in the six, some experts actually say that was the greatest left hook that Frazier ever threw. So, you know, you make your own bones about that. You know, this is just, we say experts, but, you know, it was a big, big left hand. And as you say, Ali does take it and he has that unbelievable poker face where he could just pretend it didn't hurt him. But it definitely did because, you know, even when, even, whether it was a six, people say it's a six, I'm going to say it's a seventh, but um, it was at the beginning, of, I've got it here, at the beginning of the seventh round when Ali obviously starting to fill the fight now. He actually whispered into Frazier's ear and he said, Joe, they told me you was washed up. <laughs> and he started to, and this is why he's sort of dancing around. So if I remember rightly, it would have been the beginning of the seventh because he does come out at the seventh on his toes and started to move about. And then Fraser comes back with, they lied. And then just throws a solid right hand. As you say, that right hand again. So, you know, they, they were having the war word in the middle of this fight. And, and it was probably sort of, as you say, the tide was definitely turning from, from that fifth, um, where all of a sudden, when Ali was backing off and then Fraser's sort of just started really getting closer and that guard was slipping, wasn't it? It, was, it wasn't as tight as it was and, and, Frazier was finding his, his shots were finding his, finding a target basically, uh, and, and you know the tide was hundred percent turning in Frazier's favour. So Ali clearly feeling it, realised after the fifth and sixth, sort of spending a lot of the time on the ropes or on the corner, that he decided actually 
round seven, I think I'm going to come out and start moving a bit. And Ali was fighting beautifully on a back foot, landing to, and he, he actually lands an absolutely superb uppercut. That uppercut is terrific to see. And, and that seventh round, I actually gave to, to Ali, although it was close and probably Frazier did enough to win it. Many, many people did, many experts say that that, that seventh round was a Frazier round. Um, I, I think for me, I just, I just felt that that uppercut and, and the way Ali came out on his toes and, again, mixing up his style because he had that in his armoury. He was able to fight on the ropes and then also be on his toes and fight on the outside. And although he, got, he was older, you know, he was, what, 33 in this fight, wasn't he? So it might not sound old, but after the amount of fights Ali had, you're talking 15 rounders, I'm telling you, that's going to take its, take its toll on you. But, I mean, the eighth round for me was a brilliant round um, and it just epitomises their clash of wills for me. It was just brilliant, the eighth round. A big first minute from Ali, who rallies with big shots, showing off his hand speed. Ali tries to push Fraser on the back foot by literally just hitting him with a barrage of punches. But Fraser don't budge. Ali's defence isn't so tight, and he allows Fraser more room again, finding the gaps, sort of backing onto the ropes, and Fraser just swamps Ali for the rest of the round. It was just brilliant, absolutely excellent eighth round. That. And then we get into the ninth, which was much more of the same. But at the end of the ninth round, you can see Ali starting to tire a lot more now. And he's quoted as saying to Angelo Dundee, man, this is the closest I've ever been to dying. <laughs> Whilst in the opposite corner, <laughs> Fraser's suffering from swelling around his face, which is starting to become more evident now as he's starting to look a little bit like the elephant man at this point with the amount of <laughs> swelling he's got on, on that side of his face. But this was... A, an accumulation of hundreds of punches that you know Ali were throwing off the off the back off the ropes and off the back foot. You know, we we we, we emphasize, have to emphasise how many punches he was actually throwing. Maybe we don't do it that much justice in that respect. So when you do go and watch the fight, or if you've already watched the fight and you're listening, you'll you'll know how many punches were thrown by Ali. It was unbelievable work rate in that fight for him, regardless of how tired he looked. The man had an unbelievable heart. Both men had an unbelievable heart in the ring. But that swelling starting to, I think, have a little bit of an effect now because for Frazier, something that we'd never touched on with Frazier is actually he was nearly blind in his left eye because of a training accident in 1965. So it was a pretty bad development because it was on the same side as, as that eye. So it was starting to affect his field of vision a little bit and the fight then continues. We're going 10th and then 11th. And in the 11th round, I think, where... We start. We get to see where the tide is starting to turn more back to Ali's favour now. I think Joe Frazier had had them sort of middle rounds. He got his success, but then Ali was always there. He was always throwing the punches. He was always landing. Both men were landing. You know, both men were getting the success. That's why I always refer to it as a fight in a phone box because they both had success throughout every single round. However, at this point, the eleventh round, it starts to turn the tide a little bit. I think, and I think when you watch back on the fight, you can see where Ali is landing quite frequently and Eddie Futch is basically saying to Fraser in the corner what's with this right hand business what's going on <laughs> so yeah. Futch had, had, had basically told him to try and stand more upright when approaching Ali rather than continuing his usual bobbing and weaving style which I think was probably a bad bit of advice really yeah I, I think completely and, and the funny thing is we've with uh, Eddie Futch. I mean, Eddie Futch actually came in and he actually was, he assisted that bob and weave. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, he was the one that 
that basically that was a good defensive mechanism for Fraser because you know he didn't go too many rounds to be fair because he was knocking guys out with that just unbelievable left hook. But that's interesting that Eddie said that to him. But you know, I suppose he sees something when he felt that you know with with Ali tiring, maybe it was his best bet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that eleventh again. It, the fight become a savage war sometimes. I mean, I was watching the eleventh round and. You know, there were, it, was, it was just, it, they called it the thriller, Melinda, for a reason. It was a thriller. Um, Ali was piling the pressure on, and, you know, rightly again, where you, where you mentioned with, with Fraser back in 65 with a training incident, where he was partially bright, blind in, in his left eye. And just, just going off, off the fight here, it was actually, uh, he went to medical in 65 and he covered the, the good, well, he covered the bad eye and then you sort of read the letters on the wall. And then, when the doctor turned his back, he just used the same eye again <laughs> when they thought they three guys. So, but I don't know, you could never get away with that today. I mean, the medicals back then were a lot easier to pass, obviously. But, yeah, obviously, really, he's, 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 he's basically impaired going into the 12th round, Frazier. Um, but, again, you know, as you say, Ali, the momentum's clearly changing cause, because he's just, Ali's hitting him at will. Although, Again, Ali, how the hell he's able to just to continually be increased? It just just keep throwing the shots. I mean, he must have been exhausted. Could you imagine going into that twelfth round where normally, you know, fights are stopped? You know, these are fifteen round fights. You know, there's a reason why they don't do fifteen fights anymore. But it was it was unbearable to watch at times that twelfth round. You know, I found myself just having to look away sometimes. It's brutal how Ali was. I'm just landing shot after shot. On, on Frazier and I wouldn't have been surprised in today's you know in the way things are today if uh, the referee would have probably stepped in and stopped it or at least got the doctor in you know today where they'll they'll have a break and the referee will go you know can you have the doctor have a quick look and, and I think the doctor would have probably called it off because he couldn't see I mean it was crazy but another brilliant round in the 12th uh, moving on to the 13th and yeah you crack on mate it's brilliant well, one of the problems that they were having in Frazier's corner, the fact that he had obviously this swelling and his eyesight was limited in the left eye was also the fact that, I allude back to the fact we were talking about how hot it was in there and how m- many people had reported how hot it was in there. The The corner were really struggling to maintain a functional ice bucket. So it was melting. It was basically all the ice that they were throwing in was melting in between rounds. It was melting that quick because it was that damn hot. So they weren't even able to, you know, reduce the swelling because the the, the ice packs were were melting really, really quickly. It was like literally putting it on his face and it's just melting and it's not even doing the job it's there to do, which is to try and reduce the swelling on on the on the left side of Fraser. So it really, really weren't helping. And then, like you say, you move on then to the thirteenth round where this is where it became a bit a bit hard to watch for me now I think at this point I'm struggling because I'm looking at them thinking he's just taking so many clean shots so many clean and I think midway through the 13th round there was uh, two tremendous right hand which smashed the gum shield sailing out of Fraser's mouth and the sight of Frazier sort of backing off a little bit more now, which is something we don't really see Frazier do in fights that he was involved in. He started to move back. It started to inspire Ali at this point. And then you can see Ali starts to charge forward. He starts to take centre ring then. And this, you know, for one of the, you know, 
first times in the fight, it wasn't the first time, but one of the major points of the fight is where he starts to take centre ring in that 13th round. He's starting to throw tremendous punches onto Fraser, which is difficult to watch because you know Fraser can't see half of them coming, if not all of them coming, because he's, you know, Ali, he knows, he knows he's got him, he knows at this point that he's got that eyesight, the visibility's gone, he's throwing the shots on the same side where he's, he's really, really hurt and he's swelling and it's just going to make things ten times worse for him and it just, it just seemed like the punches he were throwing, even in the 13th round, were as hard as the ones he were throwing when he knocked out George Foreman in Zaire and it just, it was, again... It's, I, I can't emphasise it enough. When you do watch it, if you've not watched it or if you have watched it, you'll be able to relate. It was so hard to watch because it was in this day. I think in this day and age, that would have been stopped. Or you know, maybe even at that point of the 13th round, I think maybe the towel would have been thrown in by by most trainers. I think at this point, I think I think so. Um, I, I mean, the the unbelievable will from Joe Frazier to, to withstand what he was taking and, and that, that wonderful right hand when the mouthpiece come flying out and flew into the crowd was a wonderful shot and you, wonderful shot and you could just see Frazier's legs dip as well after several lefts and rights somehow he's on his feet I, I'm, what, when I was watching it the other night I was just in disbelief how the, how the hell is this guy still on his feet and, and how the hell was Ali he, <laughs> exhausted as he was able to throw as many shots as he was I mean his arms must have felt like just dead weights. I mean, how the hell you could even lift your arms, let alone throw a shot like that? And so many. Because, you know, in his head, he's obviously thinking, God, I've got to get rid of him. But, you know, this is a 40-minute battle now. And, you know, 40 minutes, and this is... Fights are over now. You know, we watch it today, and they have off-rounds. Everyone has a little off-round. They've had one off-round, really. Um, one round where they... You know, I think after the after the eighth, they slowed down slightly. But you know, even in the full eighth phase, it's clearly his sight is so impaired. Um, and it wasn't. It was later revealed uh, that Frazier, you know, obviously he had the eye issue. So we already, already mentioned that actually. But um, so you know, he's basically blind completely. Uh, he actually at the end of the full eighth, it's Carlos Padilla that actually guides Frazier back to his corner. That's he literally can't see the guy. It's crazy. Um, and then Ali slumped in his corner after the fourth eighth, after another good round for Ali. And when Ali sits down in the corner, he says, cut him off, standees. Just says, cut him off, basically just cut the glass off. He's, again, it feels like he's going to die. And, <laughs> and and Dundee just says, no, 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 we're not going to, because obviously by this point, the tide's changed and he's probably thinking there's no way that Frazier's going to come out. And then obviously Eddie Futch, Eddie Futch, sorry, in the corner, um, and I think, you know, this, this point, he sort of says, you know, I've had enough of seeing this and I'm going to throw the towel. I'm going to stop this fight. Um, Frazier, obviously, definitely, he, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't want it to stop. You know, I want him, Bossy keeps saying, I want him. Um, he's trying to convince Futch to just let him out for that last round. And then Frazier actually himself says that Futch says to him, how many fingers am I holding up? Um, and uh, Frazier responds, one where Fletch is holding free. So, you know, he can't see a thing. And from that point, he says, it's all over. Um, no, we'll ever forget what you did here today. And uh, he signaled to be free to end the bout. But, you know, Ali, literally, he, he, I don't think it could have even come out for the 15th. He was exhausted himself. Um, and literally, as he stood up, he collapsed because he was just exhausted with just heat exhaustion and 
and just the fight itself, um, it, they were both completely spent and they put on an absolutely amazing spectacle. And Eddie Fletcher was absolutely right. No one will ever forget what both guys did that night. Just, just a question. Did you have any doubt about winning at any time? Well, round 10, I surprised Joe had so much stamina. I surprised as the he was. And if I didn't have the condition, I know I would have lost. It was too much pressure. I think he deserved a... a he is the greatest fighter of all times next to me. Except for me. No one will ever forget it, and this is why we get podcasts like this, legendary nights, because we get amazing <laughs> nights like that. Now, Ali later told his biographer, the, the Thomas Hauser, the great Thomas Hauser, uh, Fraser quit just before I did. I didn't think I could fight anymore. So there you go, as you were talking about the fact that he wanted his clothes cutting off, he was just about to quit the fight, Dundee obviously must have looked around and knew, knew there was something going on in the other corner, and obviously Fletcher had enough, like you're saying, that was the end of the fight, but you just see like, at the end of the fight, you could just see, the, the, I think my, my summary of this fight is that both men left a piece of the soul in the ring that night. They definitely did because at the end of the fight, no, nobody's celebrating. Nobody's not. not well, no, none of the two fighters are anyway. Both of them are not celebrating whatsoever at all. They're both absolutely just spent, completely spent. You've got all the team around, obviously Ali, you know, going nuts, going bananas about the fact that he's just worn and he's beat Fraser. And, but Ali's just. He, no, he's just there's just nothing in him at all. There's nothing in him. He's just won the 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 biggest what you know one of the biggest fights of his career there, and and you know he's just he can't even lift his arms up to celebrate because he's absolutely fucked. He's knackered, and I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine how he felt at this point. And uh, when he said it's the closest things to dying, yeah, I, you know, there you go. That just says it all, really. Uh, uh, do you know what made me laugh was the guy. Um, with the microphone he comes on to try to interview Ali. Ali's on the floor. He's literally sitting on the floor. He's absolutely exhausted. And this guy's, maybe we can get a word with Ali. I was like, leave him the fuck alone. God, mate, <laughs> he's just been in an absolute war. <laughs> and you want to get a few words out of him. I mean, again, today, I mean, they do do it today, but they, they don't just walk in the ring like that. Um, but, you know, Ali just looked spent. And so did Fraser. They both did. They, they, they were real. I mean, you, you mentioned Thomas Hauser and, Thomas Howard's actually come out of a great quote as well where he said uh, they weren't really fighting for the World Heavyweight Championship of the world. They were fighting for the World Heavyweight Championship of each other. And I think that's basically bang on. They really were. Their wills, just this absolute will to want to win was just evident. I mean, it was unbelievable what, what, what you witness when you watch this fight. And you, you can't compensate just what they went through that night and for the entertainment of us to watch this and, and you know, obviously for us to discuss, but that took something from the pair of them. Absolutely sure. I couldn't, you know, Frazier was done. I think from that point, absolutely done. Um, and so was Ali, but um, you know, he obviously decided to carry on, which I still feel was, was a poor decision. I think that was the point. I think they both should have just retired that night. You know, when I think back to watching the fight and I think back to the way it all ended for Muhammad Ali, it makes me think whether this particular fight, as I said earlier, took a piece of his soul in the ring. But I wonder if it was part of 
part and parcel of the sort of the beginning of the end because obviously from this point he had he had wars with Ken Norton, Ernie Shavers, two fights with Leon Spinks, and then my word, the the Larry Holmes and the Trevor Burbank fight is you know so so sad, so sad to watch, so sad to watch the way his speech is so slow before the fights, how he's so slow in the fights, it's it's it's, re- it's really really sad to see to be honest with you, and and, and obviously the rest is history, and we all know how ill he became, you know, in his later years before he eventually passed away in in 2016. But it was for me, it was it, it was an unbelievable fight unbelievable night and for Fraser his career really didn't take any more turns after that because he then went in to fight George Foreman and got beat off George Foreman uh, and then uh, that's for a second time by the way he got stopped by George Foreman for a second time in 76 and then decided to have one more fight in 81 uh, and got a draw majority draw against Floyd Cummings and that was kind of the end of his career uh, but like I say and I, I will say it again because I think that night uh, in 75 was the night where they left everything in the ring in terms of uh, who they were at the best I think I think after that I don't think they, they, they I mean people might argue this fact of course but I think that was where they were both at their phenomenal peak primes people will say maybe it was the 60s version of obviously Ali that was his peak physical prime and he lost a few years because he weren't able to fight but I think this was where it was at the pinnacle of the sport for me and the reason I say it was at the pinnacle of the sport at this point is going back to how big the fight was and, and for me it was the biggest fight of, of all time at that time because the legacy of it is that it was pioneering because it was the, the use of the communication technology involved in it so HBO became the first television network in history to deliver a continuous signal via satellite by broadcasting the thriller in Manila so this was revolutionary revolutionary technology used at the time so it was using linking satellites with, with cable television and it was using this retransmitter to program and it was it was unbelievable and also the thriller in manila was also the very first boxing bout to be held on pay-per-view home cable television which was transmitted through hbo so it's basically like the birth of hbo pay-per-view yeah yeah it really was yeah yeah i can't argue with anything you say that it really it is just an epic epic fight um and i do i mean i said earlier at the top of the show this is the godfather legendary nights and it really was um yeah, they both had major fights throughout their whole career, but this, you know, everything was leading up to this. I mean, the seventies in itself as a heavyweight division was just wonderful, and Ali and Frazier were massive parts of it throughout. From, you know, you suppose you got the mid seventies, and then obviously into the late seventies, Ali's fading. Um, Frazier obviously he's done his bit. Um, obviously, mid sixties as well. They, you know, they were both prominent. Obviously, Ali lost those peaks peak years in his career who knows what he could have done in those three years when he was in exile but you know they're just what they perform, what they put on was, was a masterclass and you know from the first very first fight in 71 you don't want to go too much into it because you never know it might come back up soon for a legendary night that first one because that was so big I mean that, that first fight you know there they were discussions about literally having that fight in a plane I mean that is no exaggeration somebody put molded a plane together and put a ring in it with a few seats and they were going to try to get that fight on in an airplane and that was something they really thought about it's it's unbelievable to think about but that was the 70s and you know you got 
we had the moon thing the other night that was on and you know that was that was the sort of crazy thoughts and ideas they were coming out with but two these two guys were brilliant i mean they were sensational um and, and, and you know even just just from from the from the 1960 with Ali, for instance, just jumping back a little bit. But in 1960, you've got to think, Ali won regional golden gloves, he won national, he won the US Olympic trials, and then he won a gold medal all in 1960. Within four years, he was world heavyweight champion after beating Sonny Liston. It's unbelievable. And then he had this crazy exile when he comes back, and then in the 1970s, he, he does what he does against Foreman, which is almost pinnacle, almost the same as what he'd done to Liston, where people just writ him off. And then he comes up and then Frazier has this brilliant fight with Frazier. Um, so, yeah, it's a brilliant trilogy and a fantastic rivalry. It's a rivalry that will go through sporting history. One of the probably most prominent sporting rivals in boxing, even in sport. Uh, and it, it was just a, it was great to watch these fights back and, and to just look back on all, all the build-up in the fight itself. Well, a couple of other little uh, nuggets of information for people listening is that on the undercard of the thriller in Manila was a heavyweight, Larry Holmes. He was 16-0 at the time, moved to 17-0, beating Rodney Bobick on that card. So I don't know if anybody would have known that, probably not, but Larry Holmes was actually on that undercard as well. And the second little bit of nugget of information, which I didn't even know, and I don't actually remember this, even though it was quite recently uh, in 2006 the Manny Pacquiao versus Oscar Larios fight in the Philippines was actually billed as Thriller in Manila 2 something which I completely forgot about Mm. but when I look back on it I do vaguely recall it It happened in 2006 but obviously it was never ever going to even go anywhere near the original Thriller in Manila of course but you know because it was in the Philippines because Manny Pacquiao was a big star in the Philippines they'd obviously labelled it Thriller in Manila too it was just another way of selling the fight of course but going back to my final thoughts on the Thriller in Manila Ali Fraser Free is he's he's up there he's he's one of the greatest fights I've ever seen like I, I, we bang on about it every every week we do an episode but you know, this kind of stands out as one of them for me where there was so much behind it all, the build-up to it, the animosity between them, the history between them, the, the, the heart and desire and the passion they both shown on the night. And if you actually watch the, 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 the small post-fight interview that actually took place... Uh, when when you were talking about the commentator, I think it was Don Dunphy, I think it was, who interviewed him in the ring at the time when he was on the floor. He literally, he literally, Ali literally gives the biggest compliment to Fraser uh, at the end of the fight, in the very aftermath of the fight, he gives the biggest compliment. He talks about Joe Fraser being the greatest second to me. He had to have that little bit at the end, of course, but, you know, he was right. He, he obviously, Ali, is considered the greatest heavyweight of all time and one of the greatest fighters of all time. And he, he, I think there was just so much respect after this point. It was it was untrue how much respect they ended up having for each other after all this had, had gone down. But, yeah, this fight, again, I'll, I'll nick one of your most famous catchphrases from the show. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it really was, don't know. Okay, I, I, the thing is, is we do these big fights. That's the only word that sort of pings out on, in my head because they are, they really are. It's like, you know, Cammy, isn't it? It's unbelievable, Jess. Um, but, yeah, uh, two, two, two absolutely amazing fighters. Um, Ali, for me, is the greatest heavyweight ever. That's just my opinion. He really is the, best, great, the greatest heavyweight to ever lace up a pair of gloves. Um, uh, the only, there's only two guys you could probably 
put him close to put close to Ali for me, and that would be Jack Johnson and and Joe Louis. But other than that, honestly, I don't believe on his day when Ali was on his day, he was just phenomenal. He was brilliant to watch. Um, saying that, Joe Frazier might not be the greatest in my eyes, but he will always be within the top ten, if not probably a bit higher than that. And you could stick Joe Frazier in any era in boxing history and he will be a world champion. Any era, any era, sorry. He will have a title or he will push a champion for a title. He was that good, Frazier. And he was under... It's sad to say, really, because, you know, everything that happened with Ali and he managed to sell the rights for him, for, for Ali, for like $50 million. And you had Joe Frazier, who was sort of living in the back of his gym, you know, just in a poor area in in, uh, in Philly. So, if not, I say Philly, it might have been South Carolina. I think it was, it was Philly, you know, but... Two excellent, excellent fighters. And as I say, Ali was the greatest heavyweight in my eyes. Um, the, there is my one favourite quote. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't this fight. It was actually the rumble in the jungle. But my favourite Ali quote is, Ali fights great. He's got speed and endurance. If you decide to fight him, increase your insurance <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man he'd tell you there's some fantastic quotes that came out of it and like I said unbelievable fighter really enjoyed covering this episode for Legendary Nights appreciate everybody that has voted for this particular fight it was billed the US heavyweights we had some great US heavyweight fights uh, from yourself Johnson you give us all the heavyweight fights in this poll this one came out on top really enjoyed covering this particular episode Episode. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this particular episode and of course if you have then please let us know, drop us a message on Twitter, you can tweet us you can message us on Facebook you know where to find us on Twitter it's at BTR Boxing Pod Facebook is BTR Boxing Podcast you can subscribe on any podcasting platform Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker Player FM, even Spotify as well, go and find us on any of them available apps and you can subscribe and listen to all the latest episodes from all the different series that we're running at the moment. I hope you've really enjoyed this. Johnston, thanks so much for coming on. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed the, t- the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, number three. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.